This week's guest on York Hospital Ball is known by York City supporters of all ages. Whether you saw him banging in the goals alongside Jimmy Seal in the 1970s or hearing his expert views as a pundit for BBC Radio York, Chris Jones remains a popular figure at Booth and Crescent. Chris started his career at Manchester City but eventually found himself at another city, York, and was a key part of the team who reached the highest ever league position in the club's history. This week's episode is sponsored by Play Football, who are promoting their walking football sessions. Walking football has become a huge phenomenon in recent times, and Play Football runs sessions on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10am. It is open to all ages, but mainly consists of players in their 60s and 70s. Walking football reduces the pace of the game. All you need is a pair of trainers and a sense of humour, as Play Football provides the rest. So if you want to taste the session, roll back the years with like-minded people, then there's no need to book, but you can get more information on 01904 238 230. And if that hasn't convinced you, then you get a free cuppa and chat after. Play football is on Stirling Road next to Roco Gym with free parking. Hospital Ball is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio. The views of our guests are their own and not necessarily the views of the radio station. But without further ado, here is episode three, Chris Jones. I think uh, with York City, it was something which we started to believe in sometime around about uh, December of that year when we went on this long run of 13 games without allowing the opposition to score a goal. Suddenly, uh, we found that we were scoring a few. We weren't winning by many, but we, we were winning games and we were up there. And once you're up there... You know, things uh, tend to pick up from you, you know, and the confidence builds and we get to the players, get to know each other. And we had a, I had a good partnership with Jimmy Seal. We had a, obviously had a back four and a goalkeeper who was second to none in the league. We knew that from the year before when they allowed us to stay up. And then we got two wingers in Butler and uh, Lions who were absolutely fantastic. Crosses of the ball, you know, the quality of crossing into the box was great. Me and Jimmy just had to work on where we went, our movement in the box. And then we had midfield backing us up. And we had another little gem called Ian Holmes who as the season wore on, became more, you know, invaluable to us with regard to the third man running through. So it gelled with the whole 11 working well together. And it finished off, as we all know, in the promotion into the what is now the championship, but was then the second division. Yeah, but I mean, it must have been such a, a good feeling to know that that back four were, were just very unlikely to concede. I mean, 13 games without a goal, you said. I mean, that... As a striker, that must give you a lot of confidence because the pressure's not on you to kind of get the goals every every game, but you know that at least you're going to draw a match if, worst case scenario, you and Jimmy had an off day. We were talking uh, we were talking about York City in the present day and it was looking like strikers having to score three goals just to get a point out of a game. In those days, we knew that, uh, you know, if we, we could stick the ball in the back of the net, we'd got a good chance of either winning the game or the worst drawing it. And remember, at those times, it was two points, two points for a, a, win. a win. Yeah. So, like I said, we'll, we'll get into York City in a, bit, a lot more detail later mm-hmm. on. I've just finished reading your book, The Tale of Two Great Cities. Mm-hmm. Fantastic book. Um, I'd obviously known about the, the 1970s through Dave Batter's, um, you know, his, his book of the history of York yeah. City, but it was really interesting to hear it from your point of view. And I, and I must admit, a few things sort of stood out for me. Um in particular, I just presumed that you were a Man City fan growing up and actually reading it, it was Bolton Wanderers that was actually the first team that, 
that you kind of had. I don't didn't want quite clear in the book whether you supported them, but they were kind of the first team that you you went to see. Yeah, it's uh, Bolton Wanderers was where my grandfather was born in in Bolton, and I think related to that was the fact that my uncle brought me up and. We went to watch Bolton Wanderers and that Loft House at the time, Dennis Stevens, Eddie Hopkinson. And, you know, we I was more or less looking at Nat Loft House, goal scorer, extraordinary, very good international footballer. And I uh, thought that there was a good opportunity to fashion myself on on a player. And was that at Burnden Park then? Was that, that was at Burnden Park. And that's where yeah. it had the slope as well, wasn't it? Is uh, that right? Well, I, I was right behind the goal every time. That's right. where, you know, with my uncle, so I was only a little lad there. But it was it was good times uh, watching Bolton Wanderers. As time moved on, I got the opportunity to, to go and have a trial for Manchester City. It's a complete change nowadays to what it was then. I suppose I'd have still made it. I made a lot more money. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned your Uncle Bill there briefly. I mean, I felt reading the book that he was probably your biggest influence. Really. I know we were talking about Nat Lofthouse, but, but mm. kind of as a person to drive you forward. Yeah. I mean, how big an influence was, was your well, Uncle Bill? Well, I, I lived with my uncle, which was Bill. You know, all right, he was next door to where my dad lived. But I was brought up by him and we spent all our time on the park, you know, playing... Uh, trapping, controlling, moving, working with both feet. And that's greedy of all things, shooting. <laughs> you know, I hit the ball past him and we'd be 30 yards down the other side and we'd have to go and pick it up and bring it back. So that's the way it was on the park. It was a good time, you know, moved on to a grammar school and playing for Stamford Lads, which is a local team. And with them playing in the senior side was a guy called Peter Lee who lived in our road as well. And in the end, I got fed up of not being discovered. And you wondered where things were going, but never got a chance until... My uncle asked Pete Lee, who played left-back for Crew Alexander for about 450-odd games or more, a legend over at Crew, and he lived in our road. And, you know, my uncle asked, was there any trials or anything for football clubs? He said, my club, Man City, which he was at at the time, is playing in the Central League, cast of about 40, 40 pros and apprentices. And he said, yeah, there's a trial in June at Chasham Road. Manchester City's old training ground was in Ermston at the time, uh, not where they are now with the fantastic, you know, facilities they've got at Carrington. But then it was Ermston and it was a trial and there were about 140 Did you know, Did you know there was going to be 140 there or was that uh, as big a No, I could as... not believe it. When you think there's probably, there's 11 position there, yeah. there's goalkeepers and there's a guy there writing your name down. And you told him you were right wing, didn't you? Is that right? I did. I was a goal scorer in centre forward, I thought. I had a look over his shoulder when he was writing down trialists and centre forwards, you know, there was about 14, 15 of them. So um, at least you didn't put goalkeeper down, I guess that would have. Well, no, useless at keeping. <laughs> I managed to get through to the final trials. But I always hold out to a lady there who used to have a bell and he used to ring it at Main Road, you know, always blue and white scarves, rang a bell. I didn't think I'd got selected. You know, they were were picking a side to come and play the Apprentices, which was the Manchester City Apprentices, with the the pros who did sign. I said, come on, I'll get changed. So I went to get changed. I was ready to leave. And then my uncle said, well, let's just see what the standard of Mm. what they've got out there is. So frustratingly, I did. Harry Godwin, who was the chief scout of Manchester City, was a legend. In his, you know, the number of players he brought through from Mike Doyle, Alan Ogley, Dave Connor, you, you name it in those times. This lady, God bless her always, who was always near near the entrance, said, Harry, have you, is there any players out there, you think? He says, well, he said there is. He says, but I've lost one of them. Don't know where he is. And she, God bless her again, said, 
who was it? And he said, oh, a guy called Jones. So I said, oh, that's me. He said, what are you doing, change? You're supposed to be out there playing in this final trial. One, one thing I noticed as well is that you were really committed to getting into Man City, weren't you? Kind of Even once you got got into them, you were kind of travelling on two or three different buses to, to get to training, weren't you? Yes, that, that's the thing about Manchester City. At the first part of the season, because that was June time, right through till when the hour changed, we were at... Chasson Road, Ermston. So we had to get two buses from that, 47 and the 97. A bit of a thing because there was a school. I was at school in Lim, so I was coming home from Lim to Altrium and then straight away get the boots and everything and off we went. Did it matter that it was Man City or, or did it? Or could it have been any team in the, in the sort At of... At the time, it could have Lancashire been any or... time. If it had been Bolton Wanderers, I'd have loved it. George Poyser was a the manager there. He, he was the one who finally signed me pro. But that didn't happen straight away. First of all, there was training at Chasson Road. And then they asked me uh, when they were moving to Main Road to train at Main Road in the dark there at Moss Side, very nice place. You know, I asked Harry Goddard, so what's happening to me, Harry? So we're going to sign you amateur. So again, it fate, you know, so, so he says, come on the Tuesday and we'll sign you. So I went on the Tuesday and it was a pea super. In old terms, that means it was a fog with all the industrial horribles mixed in and going through Moss Side as a young lad in the dark. It was a bit scary. But I went there, knocked on the door, and a bloke came to the door, Dave Ewing, and he just said, come back Thursday, son, you know, uh, training's off tonight. So there's me, all built up to sign. So I walked all the way back down Claremont Road and walking back through this pea super, I bumped right into Harry Godwin. So when you talk about fate, yeah, come back Thursday, Chris, and uh, we'll sign you. And they did so. And then we went on about the second week or so in. I got a game in the Lancashire League A team, which was good. That's the third team at Main Road. There was the first team, the Central League side, the Lancashire League Division A and the Lancashire League Division B. And that's where the old enemy, Manchester United, that's where the best is and all that. There's a large chunk of a book about that time and I, and mm-hmm. I found it really interesting mm-hmm. that obviously you were scoring all these goals for the for the youth team yep. and the amateurs and all, and all that and and actually some, in the youth team you you played in front of a massive crowd bigger than um, than what Man City were actually averaging as a home crowd. What happened it was we had apprentices and uh, one or two amateurs in the Manchester City youth team at the time and we had a, a good run all the way through to the semi-finals of the FA Youth Cup. In the end, Manchester United beat us in the semi which was a massive derby game, 35,000 at Old Trafford. What was, that, what was that like? Was that the first <laughs> big crowd you'd probably played in front of? Uh, we played in a few at Main Road, but not that big. So 35 there, 22,000 at Main Road, second leg. At this point, are you, are you, have they moved you back to being a centre-forward? Yeah. Did you say once you'd signed, look they there? They told me, the... put me centre-forward oh, in right, the Lancashire okay. League B team and I worked my way through. I yeah. played a couple of games in the Central League side, scored my first goal, Bolton Wanderers Reserves at Main Road. By then, I was, you know, as a Man City player and playing for a professional contract, which I was only an amateur. And George Best as well. Best was an international at the time, and he, and Manchester United kept him away from the youth cup until the semis. And Best he played in the semis. Uh, that's how much they respected Man City. Big games, they won four. And was that why the crowd was big? No, no, just, no. Just, it's a Manchester just... derby. They don't right. care because you got to remember at that time Manchester City and Manchester United weren't playing derbies. They weren't in the same okay. leagues. Man City were down one league. You know, they, these were big days for for Manchester to have young youth cup players of two sides, and a lot of them went and played in the European Cup final. The Manchester United players, Kid, Sadler, they were all there. You know, Bestie. So it was a time of change, really, and Manchester City were moving on and up, and 
They'd lost them. We'd lost the manager who signed me, George Poyser, and Joe Mercer took over, and he brought a guy called Malcolm Allison. He was big, brash, arrogant, mm. but a good coach. Not a great manager, Malcolm. So then, uh, eventually, you did break through and mm-hmm. made your debut against Nottingham Forest mm-hmm. at Main Road, and in your book it says in front of thirty-five thousand. So again, another massive crowd yeah. there. And then you got your first goal against West Brom. Dribbling along the line and pulled it back. Should have brought it back for Johnny Crossan at West Brom. Smacked it in Ray Potter's near post. So you remember your first goal. Yeah, and the second one, that was past Gordon Banks, wasn't it? Uh, the second one was against Gordon Banks, yeah. Just before he moved moved from Leicester City, yeah. And he was a World Cup goalkeeper then. And actually went on to be a World Cup goalkeeper again with another club. And what, what was that like scoring past him? I was in a good, I was getting games in a, a quality Manchester City team who had probably one link missing and that was the centre forward and that's what I was playing for. As it turned out in the following season, it became Francis Lee, who they brought in from all places, again Bolton. Francis took my place in the Manchester City team and I then became on the fringes really. And as there was only one sub in those days, it was travelling and then being told, go and play for the reserves, you know. And you picked up a bit of a bad injury as well, didn't you? Oh, I had a few. (laughs) That's the journey I had. And when you have a journey in professional football, I played for 11 football clubs, I lived the dream of what I wanted to be as a youngster. Anybody who I've talked to, and that's youngsters as well, I say, write down your dreams. You know, they can achieve them. Believe in it. And on a lot of occasions, you can achieve what you believe. And just before we move on from Man City, mm. one of the things that I found really fascinating mm. in the book was was this notion that you always went on these sort of end-of-season tours. But the USA tour in 1967 <laughs> sounds yeah. horrific. You played four games against Dunfermline, which were, which sounded horrendous because their manager just put everyone behind the ball and they were all draws and you got kind of a slow claps off the pitch and stuff. Different uh, mindset from George Farm, who was a goalkeeper, who was manager of Dunfermline and didn't want to lose at all costs. We were trying to say, well, let's score a couple each and we'll play yeah. it from there. But he didn't want to, so we ended up, yeah, playing in some really tough games. And Neil Young had to come home after a horrific injury in about 14 stitches down his shin. So in the end, we were down from about 16 down to... 13, 14 players when we went into... But you must have been shattered anyway, because this is the end of yeah. the season, mm. a long, grueling mm. season. Well, as well and as that, we yeah. had two players playing for England. So, you know, they were off on inter- international duty. So we, we were playing one or two of the good American sides, and they were bringing players in from Mexico and uh, Brazil. So there was, was always really tough games. Especially uh, Atlanta Chiefs, that was on the baseball pitch. And did you enjoy these tours then, or did you, were they a massive inconvenience? Not and... for me, it wasn't. That, that was my big champ. Uh, Francis came with us. Uh, Mike Summerby was away because Mike was away. But the rest of them were tra- treating it like a bit of a holiday, especially having won the league. And I think we played somewhere in San Francisco midday. And Jack Charlton later said, well, we're having water bottle stops for our international, otherwise we're not playing. But in those days, you just went played right through. But it was searing heat. And that was when, around the time that Robert yeah. shot as well. And your nope. chair seemed to think he was one of your players, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he was in LA at the same time on, on uh, a presidential, well, going for the presidential position. And uh, we'd got a guy called Bobby Kennedy playing uh, for us, who's a Bradford guy, went to Bradford City later. Uh, Scot- Scotsman, nice guy, Bobby. 
And it was just one of those stories where Johnny Hart, we'd been watching the, the telly, somebody said somebody shot the senator, which was uh, Robert Kennedy. John said, Johnny Hart, who is my mentor, you know, he'd be Paul Hart's dad. He said, we better go and tell the chairman. Well, the chairman's a Christian scientist, Albert Alexander, lovely man, but nightgown, Bible, knocked on the door. And we said, Mr. Chairman, Bobby Kennedy's been shot. And all he said was, well, well he shouldn't have been out at this time. And I what was he doing out? <laughs> and then shut the door. And we were there flabbergasted. No, Chairman, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Robert Kennedy. Oh, that's all right. Good night. <laughs> right. So yeah. j- just after that, that was when it kind of went a little bit sour at Man City and you were told that, well, a bit of mixed messages between Mercer and Allison, wasn't yeah. there? I think so. Either that or Joe was such a gentleman he couldn't say that he'd got an offer for me from Swindon. At the same time, Malcolm was fancying Bobby Owen from Berry, and me being a bit hot tempered, I should never have done it. I'd done it throughout my career, so I'll stuff you then, you know. Um, but I think a lot of footballers are like that, aren't they? If, if they're told to get someone else in, they do tend yeah. to move on, don't they? I think with Malcolm, once he really loved you. He loved you. Once he'd changed, and he flipped quite often, that was just the end of you, really. So he was probably right to have gone and moved on yeah. to Swindon Town. I had to look that up on the map. I didn't even know where it was at the time. But Swindon was a bit of a mi- mixed sort of time for you, mm. wasn't it, really? that It was probably successful for the club, but maybe not yourself personally. Mm. Your fans didn't like him and did like him and gave the impression that you didn't really fully settle there. Is that is that fair to say? I think that's probably right. I, I went there with a, to a manager called Danny Williams who was under pressure himself. And the big problem with Danny was looking after himself, his, you know, and his head was on the block and he got me in and he thought, well, I'll take the pressure off. If he, if he wins, I'm a winner. If he loses, then... He can take the flak and we were successful. Unfortunately, I got an ankle injury, missed the quarterfinals of the League Cup and the semi-final team went, went on to, to go on to Wembley. And I've scored, what, about eight goals in 13 games all the way up to the League Cup final against Arsenal. Thought I was in the side and no, I wasn't. 13th man. What they all called at Swindon, the most unlucky player. For the following two years, Danny Williams then left. I was under Fred Ford and then Dave Mackay and things worked out for a few years. And then Dave Mackay said, said uh, Walsall are interested in you. But he said before that, you want to go up to Oldham and play for Oldham Athletic under Jimmy Frizzle? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. And getting back away from Swindon. By then, I was married. So Oldham would have been a perfect move for you, really. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and Harry Dowd had moved there. Home. He was a Manchester City goalkeeper. He was, he was there. So I was there for three, three games, scored for them. And also, it turned out Walsall were in for me. And Jimmy Frizzle said, Chris, I'd like to buy you, but Walsall are paying 10 grand for you, which was, in those days, was quite a lot of money. Imagine, yeah. So we are out at RAF Valley when that happened, so I had to trek all the way back to Altrian, where I was living, then whip down to Walsall, where we'd bought a house, and ended up signing for Walsall. You'd have probably preferred Oldham if they could have stumped up the yeah. money, I guess. Uh, that's right. I'd scored for Oldham Athletic. We'd done quite well. I think we'd won one draw and one loss. I said to Jim, I'd like to sign for you because I could move back up from Swindon up to Manchester. But that's how it turned out. I went to Walsall. It's a great club. Did quite well for them. Obviously, not uprooting any trees anywhere, but I was scoring my fair number of goals. We played one game at Halifax and in the crowd, I believe, was Tom Johnson and Colin Meldrum. And the next thing I know, I'm being asked to uh, go and talk to York City. I said, well, you know, why? I'm doing well here. I'm scoring goals. Just bought a house. And they said, we need the money. We've got a situation now where the club needs to go through the summer, pay summer wages, and we haven't got the money in the, 
in the, in the kitty to do it. Could you have dug your heels in or, or is it again that they're not wanting you so you're thinking I want to play somewhere where I am wanted? Or... I had a, a lot of respect for the chairman Weldon there. If he's saying that he's got a problem with the football club then the only way out of it at the time was to sell me. So um, he said, well, will you go and talk to them? He said, and look, a possibility of some money in your hand if you do move. I said, well, I'll go and talk to them. He said, oh, well, good. So take the contracts with you as you go. <laughs> so, so. I went up there and I signed. Uh, George Teasdale was the secretary and I signed for York City. And I'd looked at them and played against them. And yeah, they kicked lumps out of you, didn't they? Oh, yeah, they, they passed you on. <laughs> yeah, Phil Burrows, you know, Barry Swallow, Chris Toppy was a word. You played yeah. with Phil, Phil Burrows at Man City Man as well, City, didn't you? Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Familiar face. Oh, eh? yeah. But Phil was playing left wing then in, in the youth team. When he was playing for York City, he was playing left back. Had a lot of quality and skill, as he proved playing for us. Because obviously York City hadn't had a, had a particularly good season, but was it the fact that you'd played against him and you thought, well, actual fact, if I can get the goals, they're not conceding many. You know, they've got a quite a solid back four mm. there. and like, or, or was it just, you know, I've got to get out of Walsall? I've... Chairman, they hadn't left me much of a choice. The way things are from that finances at football clubs in the third and fourth divisions of the time. And I did get a payment uh, in October at Booth and Crescent. <laughs> so things worked out okay. So it all sort of started to click together then because Jimmy Sealer was there the year before yeah. but maybe was lacking a bit of confidence and mm. he got the goal on the last day of the season to help mm. keep them up. Did you and Jimmy just click straight away? Was- it was a partnership which worked because we had a coach called Colin Meldrum and we had Tom Johnson who could bring in good wingers. Defensively, we'd had no problem. It was Colin Meldrum who said, well, we're going to have to have some sort of movement, diagonal movement and that. So you've got to work off each other. So we made diagonals in midfield and then we crossed over and we we moved in the box as well and then you had two wingers in Butler and uh, Barry Lyons who just hit hit the spot and they knew we were making the runs it just worked and then we got Ian Holmes coming in in midfield and he could wobbles we called him he just wobbled through and scored a few and made a few I mean I made a note note of some of your attendances Mm. that year you played Southport at home in December and beat them 4-0 2,712 were there and then Oldham in April, when that, that game that, that clinched promotion, one all draw, 15,500. I mean, it's staggering, isn't it, yeah. really, to think that. I mean, obviously, I know that was a far more important game, mm-hmm. but that's not too long a time. Belief in York City supporters, as you know, Dan, from now, you know, we waver all the time. We, we're always forever hoping that it's going to be York's year and that we're going to move on and, and we get failed, get dragged down into it and think, God, what's happened here again? But then the fans needed a little bit of convincing but once we started to play in the FA Cup and the League Cup and do well in those as well, all of a sudden, 1974, going into 75... Played Man up, City as well, didn't you? Yeah, that was where the book came from. The Tale of Two Great Cities is about Manchester and York. And the link is the fact that in 1974, when the, the strikes were on and televisions were cut off at 10, 10 o'clock at night, there's no floodlights allowed. So we had to play a game at Booth and Crescent with a two o'clock kickoff. And there's a lot of people skived off school for that one. And uh, yeah, so Manchester City, we do no score again. So we're playing against all my old mates there, you know. We got away with a draw and went to Main Road. And that was another dream come true for me. A very emotional night, that. That was under generators because, of course, you know, the strike was still on. There was still no no lighting. And I met Johnny Hart again, who was my mentor, you know, and we had a talk. That was it. The tale of two great cities about Manchester and about York City. And York 
uh, as I say, was where we got all the success. And, and obviously that, that promotion, you know, that was the equivalent of the championship that York City went into and, and stayed up. I mean, you know, some of the teams in that division, you know, Aston Villa, West Brom, Man United, Chef Wednesday, Nottingham Forest. I mean, it's, it's been incredible to play yeah. against those teams for, for York fans on a regular basis. At the time I was scoring the goal which put us into the championship against Oldham Athletic, at the same time that was happening, Dennis Law who was an avid Manchester United player, was playing for Manchester City at Old Trafford and he backheeled Manchester United into the second division. Though, all right, there was another game at West Ham later for Man U, but the, really the writing was on the wall. Yeah, yeah. So that's where Manchester United suddenly arrived in the championship or the second division, as it was called then, with York City. And we were sixth in the division at one stage. That's the highest York's ever been. And what was, what was Tom Johnson like to play for? He was great for me. Um, he wasn't great for a lot of the players there. You know, they didn't like him. You know, there were strikes and stuff, threatening strikes before I arrived. But I found Tom bought me, Tom backed me, and I, I repaid him by scoring goals. There was a tr- trouble between the uh, past coach before Colin Meldrum came in. And the fact that the players liked the coach and Tom got rid of him. So then obviously... Wilf McGuinness came in then, didn't he? When when Tom Johnson left and went on to Huddersfield, and is that when it all started to unravel? Really, because he wanted to bring his own people in, or John Stone had a real trouble with his uh, against Sunderland in the when the second division game. He dislocated his ankle and he was out for the season, so we had to get a new right back in. So that was the start, the breakup of the back four. Graham Crawford was still okay in Goldfield Burrows had left. He went to Plymouth and we couldn't understand why he wanted to go. We're going in the championship. He's gone from York yeah. down to as far trek. as you can go. And he said, well, it's Tom Johnson. So Phil was one of those. So he wanted who, to get as far away from him as possible. Just, it looked just like Plymouth. that. Yeah, it looked like that. And so, and Barry Swallow was getting on then, you know, he was reaching, his legs were going on him. So it was only Chris Topping at the back. So yeah, the back four was disintegrating. Tom Johnson left for Huddersfield. Wilf McGuinness came in, brought Steve James and a few players from Eric McMordy from Manchester United. It didn't click into what our unit was, but really it was about four, which uh, yeah. had gone. The- Me, I ruptured my ankle ligaments at Sunderland, uh, so I was out for the rest of the year as well. So I'd gone, he brought Mickey Cave in, played Mickey Cave with Jimmy Seal, and it was all mishmash, you know. Yeah. And did you know at the time when you were out injured, looking from afar, were you just thinking, well, this is just going to go one way? Well, uh, well, Wilf was a good friend of mine. He got on quite well with Wilf. Um, the season I left, I left more or less straight away at the start of the season. And this is, again, hurriedly running off. He'd said, uh, forget the Jimmy Seal, Chris Jones striking pair, you know. Uh, I prefer Mickey Kay with Jim Hinch. And he says, one of you two can stay as sub, you know, as reserve. Well, I said to Jim, I said, it's, it's a question of who can get out of here fast enough, Jim, by the looks of things. So I beat Jim to it <laughs> and he stayed. <laughs> but it was difficult. And I went with Tom Johnson and that was a bad move because Tom was moving upstairs and a person called John Hazeldean took over. First thing he said to me, I, d- I didn't want to buy you. It's so understandable why you went to Huddersfield, yeah. wasn't it? To follow Tom, mm. you'd had success with him. And yeah. like you say, you got on well with mm. him. And Tom said, sorry, Chris, I've moved upstairs and Hazeldean don't like you. So I said, well, can you move, Can you get me moved on? He says, well, that's up to him. So he was a bit vicious and he didn't. So I was travelling to Huddersfield daily, training with the reserves and not getting a game. 
I guess you were settled in York at this point. Yeah, then, so you moving. moved moved yeah, to York, I mean, I've not moved from York since. No, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, Huddersfield, Doncaster, yeah, Darlington. Probably uh, out of that, Stan Anderson at Doncaster was really good with me. Peter Madden, who was at Darlington, brought me on loan there, and then he moved from Darlington to uh, Rochdale. Of course, he brought brought took me to Rochdale as supporters' player of the year there. So, but I had a clash with Bob Stoko in the end. You know, me, me and him didn't get on. And uh, he told the board he wanted half the players out. I went and then he resigned. You know, so he fell on his sword after he knifed everybody else. But there was no way back for you at Well, I phoned Peter Madden because he took over again. And I said, Pete, do you want me back now? He's gone. And he said, sorry, Chris, the board won't allow it. So I disappointed in Pete Madden at that one point. That's just bizarre, isn't it? If you're player of the season, Mm. you've got a few goals and then... You're willing to come back. And... Yeah, that more or less nearly ended the career. Well, it ended the career in the football league. I went over to La Havre for the summer, but I didn't like it over there, so I came back. Played a bit for Bridlington. And well, La Havre's a bit of a commute from York, isn't it, really? It is a little fair. bit, yeah. Was it the language barrier? or, or was... No, we trained at 7 o'clock in the morning and 5 o'clock at night, and the rest of the day was your own. And it was it was a difficult because all the players were just coming in for those two terms. And me, I was there all through the day with nothing really to do, perhaps learn French. You know, was there an option to ever play in like the, the non-league? No, really, it didn't work that way. I played for Bridlington Town for a while, but it just faded out then. I made a note through the book of the players that you, you kind of played against, of so Gordon Banks, George Best, Fabio Capella, Ray Clements, Bobby Moore, Alan Mullery. Peter Shilton but who was the best player you played against was it George Best yeah I think George Best was the best player I played against him first at the cliff for Manchester City A and he's playing for Manchester United A and he took Mike Harold on our right back took him to the clean and thought what's going on here it was like a whippet and then he went back and beat him again Absolutely brilliant. Left foot, right foot. Could play any position on the field, George. As you'll know from his Manchester United record, 250-odd games, 160-odd goals. So I didn't want to go near him. I'm not going to nutmeg me. And, uh, you know, Bobby Moore as well, iconic figure in English football. But you had a good record against Bobby Moore, didn't you? <laughs> a gentleman, great ambassador for football, obviously. Won the World Cup, he's done everything. But he was one of those players who I played well against. He read the ball well. You know, he didn't run about too much, but he knew what he was doing. <laughs> Just uh, seemed to score against Fulham every time I played. You had a few clubs like that, haven't you? Like yeah. Bolton was oh, one, yeah. and Norwich. And Norwich, everyone. yeah. Was there any teams that you thought, oh, I never seemed to score against these, or players? Or, or... Yeah, there's one, one, one or two there I could never score against. You know, somebody like Man U, I couldn't get... Even at youth team level, I couldn't score against them. Mm. You know, if they put me straight on the six-yard box with an empty goal, I still think I'd miss. <laughs> Moving on to, to the commentary, how, how did that come about when you were getting involved with Radio York? Well, Jules Bellamy, of all people, just asked me if I wanted to do a commentary. Would you want to come and summarise? I did so. I was just doing the home games. Finally, they asked me, you know, so we do a few aways as well. So I said, yeah, we're going away. Barry I did a lot with. Barry Park. Very quirky Barry, but we tend to work it out between us. Finally, now with Dave Ward. Now we're sharing it a little bit. I'm doing a uh, couple of games on, couple off. We work nearly with you as well. Yeah, yeah, a few very words close. with yourself yeah. on hospital radio, which is very important. What what year did you start doing the commentary? What? Fourteen years ago. What was that? Was that twenty oh <laughs> five? <laughs> was that after that? Would have been after the time that that the club nearly shut down with Douglas Craig and yes, obviously Barry Swallow was on the board of directors there, someone that you played with. I don't know how close you were mm. with him, but did there ever come a point where you? You spoke to him and thought, well, what, what are you doing, Barry? Yeah, Va- Barry was with the vice presidents when I was flickering around. There's a lot went wrong with the football club. It's when they managed to get that lease down from 20-odd years to one year and when they also managed to 
put it into a holding company instead of the shareholding being amongst all the directors. The value of the club was worth zilch. The value of the holding company and the shares was worth everything. And Douglas Craig had a large percentage of that. Barry Swallow had quite a few as well. I just found it staggering that he was part of that board of directors that could well have seen York City go under, yet mm. how important he was and, and how you know what a close affinity he had with the fans at the time and mm. stuff like that. And yet, I don't see how he could have done that. Never talked to him since, Barry. I, I don't right. understand why it happened. He took his, he took his share of money and he's let, he let us down, really. Yeah. In the end, he ditched it for a pot of gold. And what do you make of York City at the minute? I do feel like now is the time that York City are preparing to go on their way back up. I mean, I think Steve Watson's a, a good manager. I think he's Cummings, signed really yeah. well. I think Cummings will help out there as well. Yeah, yeah, Cummings as well. And they seem to be a real good partnership. Uh, they and... brought in a good centre-half from Fylde, who's come to us. Um, and then two lads from Blythe Spartans, a goalkeeper. And, uh, and a striker as well. Yeah, so, um, are you optimistic? Are you thinking that they'll have a good no. season? No? <laughs> There's so there's a lot of fairly good sides in the in that, but they see York City as a target still, you know. Yeah. Beat York City were beating the best. I give them twelve games. I said that the last quite a few years, twelve games for the manager to see how the side gels. When you're looking at a team, you've got to look at the spine of the team: your goalkeeper, your centre backs, central midfield and your centre-forwards, and then you embellish it with a couple of wide players on, you know, who can get good crosses in the box. But it's mm. all about goal scoring in the end. It's all yeah, about well, that, teamwork. That's why I'm, I'm quite optimistic. I think mm. Maguire, 25, got odd goals last season for Blythe. The goalkeeper mm-hmm. was one of the keepers of the season, yep. by all accounts. The centre-back from Tranmere, McNulty, obviously, mm. although he might not have a lot of pace, he's, he's clearly a good leader and he's had a lot of promotions under his belt. The spine of a team just feels like he's he's got that right, Watson. Could be. It's players in wide positions and somebody created in midfield. We've lacked somebody in midfield for quite a few years now. And in terms of your commentary, was was the highlight 2012, I guess, with the two Wembley visits? Uh, I think Wembley, you've got to say highlighting uh, as a summariser, as I was, yeah. to summarise at any side at Wembley is a highlight of your broadcasting career, yeah. But we get on well with, with, with yourselves up Hospital Radio, up in the back of that stand. Hopefully we're going to be doing it while we move to the new stadium. And just like to say a few words on Hospital Radio about Dave Batters. He's absolutely magic, lovely man, got on well with him. I miss him now because, you know, Dave, anybody scored six for York City in the last five years? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he'll come out with it, you know, just like that. I, I mean, miss it, Dan. You don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I struggled to work out the year a few minutes ago. Yeah. What's staggering about Dave Batters is I went to a few cricket games with him at mm. Yorkshire and mm. he was exactly the same with cricket. Yes. I, I just thought, oh, it must just be York City that, yeah. he, that he knows everything about. No, he didn't. He knew everything about mm. everyone. Mm. And uh, and what I really liked about, about Dave as well is that I never heard him criticise a York City player. We've seen some rubbish over the years. Yeah. Clearly not in your team, Chris. But Dave would always always have a, ah, oh, yeah, but he's quite good at this. And, and I always used to be impressed. I'd, I'd be kind of, be the first one to mm. criticise any player and, and Dave would always be, oh, well, what about that? And, and he'd always kind of turn it around and make me think yeah. a little bit about certain situations. He's a lovely man. I'm sure that everybody listening in hospital to, to the commentaries from, from Dave and now yourselves are, you know, very impressed. But Dave, I think the reason why he didn't have a bad word to say for a lot was because where you sat in that box, you couldn't see half the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, well, thanks again for coming in, Chris. Um, Really interesting to hear your thoughts on the, on your career and uh, 
And your book's still available, I, I presume? Yep, it's still available and it's been selling quite well. It's over three years ago now. Uh, can I j- just pass on a message? Because when I'd just written that book, I was very ill in hospital at York. And the nurses and the specialists and everybody were fantastic at York Hospital there. Hold my hands up to them all. They saved my life. They've got a book in there in Ward 30 or 32, something like that. Maybe. <laughs> or somebody's taken it. But yeah, it's sold quite well, yeah. Well, I'm glad they did, Chris, because it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. So there we are, episode three, Chris Jones. Thank you again for him to give up his time to speak to Hospital Radio. As you can tell through that, he's a real big supporter of the charity. So I really appreciate his kind words there and obviously his lovely tribute to much-missed Dave Batters. Don't forget this episode was sponsored by Play Football, who were promoting their walking football sessions. You can give them a ring on 01904 238 230 if you want more further details. Essentially, get yourself up to Clifton Mall, Stirling Road, roll back the years, and who knows, maybe Chris Jones might make an appearance up there. Once again, you know, genuine thanks to all those people who've taken their time to get in touch and give us some positive feedback about the podcast. It is really, really appreciated. You'll be pleased to know that we're considering doing a second series and already got some feelers out there to interview certain players. There's still one more episode of this series that concludes next week where we've got not a player but a journalist, Dave Flett, who will be joining us in the studio. Mm-hmm.